and we're beginning our readings for the next couple of months in the book of Isaiah, uh, trying to understand what these people are thinking and why they're doing the things they're doing. So the purpose of this conversation is to just give a little bit of the political history. What's going on in the Promised Land? What's going on in the lands around the Promised Land that's having impact? And uh, forcing the hand of leaders in one direction or the other. So Isaiah's prophecy, uh, according to chapter 1, verse 1, spans four kings of Judah, uh, beginning with Uzziah, and then his son Jotham, and then his son Ahaz, and finally the last in the line, Ahaz's son Hezekiah. So it stays within the family. There's no, uh, during this time, there's no uh, overthrows of government, people trying to force their hand uh, as a new king in, in the land of Judah. Isaiah writes in the last half of the 8th century BC, so approximately 750 to around 700, that's when he's doing most of his writing. Isaiah's name uh, comes from two Hebrew words, Yesha Yahweh, um, the Lord is, or the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. As Isaiah begins, the major player, the, the strong empire on the scene is Assyria, and they're still growing in power. And Assyria is, for the most part, at this point in time, as Isaiah begins, He's exerting his power, uh, Assyria is exerting their powers more toward the Middle East than anywhere else. Egypt is their major uh, foe in the area, and once again, Israel's caught in the middle. And so you see the pressure that these uh, uh, superpowers exert over the promised land. And most assuredly, at least when the, while Assyria is in control, it's the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, that suffers more. So Assyria is putting pressure on the land and uh, Isaiah is going to spend most of the 66 chapters are going to be devoted to what goes on uh, up until the year 720, maybe 700. You remember the northern kingdom will fall in 722, Israel falls. The southern kingdom holds on till 586. So it's quite a while. It's uh, 140 years between the fall of uh, the Northern Kingdom and the fall of the Southern Kingdom. Uh, so obviously lots can happen in those kinds of long time periods. Interestingly enough, uh, as we get to the end of Isaiah, we'll see chapters 40 to 55 seem to address more the situation of the the southern kingdom in exile in Babylon. And then the last chapters from there, 56 to 66, 10 and 11 chapters, deal with um, the return from exile. So Isaiah prophesies the first 40 chapters, more or less, are given to the, the time of his life, of Isaiah's life, uh, what's going on then. You want to keep a watch and notice how Isaiah's message is balanced between uh, warnings about what's going to happen because of their unbelief, because of their idolatry, how they're going to suffer, how they are suffering and will suffer more, and these uh, constant promises 
that God's going to be faithful. This isn't going to be forever. He's going to restore the land. He's going to put things right and put his promised, uh, put his people back in the promised land. And it's not like he waits through the whole book with all these threats in the beginning and then finally at the end gives them a, a cheery word of it's all going to be, oh, it's going to end good. Don't worry about it. Even, it's almost one for one, maybe not quite that much, but you'll see a warning and then a promise about a restoration. And then another warning and then a promise about restoration. So watch for that as you read the book and, and see how Isaiah tries to comfort the people and encourage the people. You know, lots of what he has to say is, con is a, a, condemn a condemnation of the way that they're living as a nation. And that can be hard to hear. That can be hard to read. So as God uh, speaks through Isaiah, to, brings to, to bring his message through Isaiah, he's intermixing uh, promises of renewal, offering, a, extending a, a conciliatory message, letting them know that God is not abandoning them forever, not by any means. He's not going to abandon his people. He stays, he stays true. And that's important to remember on a national level that God is dealing with nations on that scheme. And he deals with individuals in the same way, right? He, he tries to show, to get us to see our sin. So God can use, God can intervene and use difficult times. Physically difficult times, emotionally difficult times, all in an effort to wake us up, to help us to see our weakness and our sin, and to turn to him uh, for his help. So Assyria has been in power for a while, but the last three Assyrian kings, prior to Isaiah's coming on the scene, have been relatively weaker kings, and they've not exerted as much pressure. And so under the influence of being granted a little more freedom than they'd had before, um, the people begin to think about rebelling, about finding a way to achieve uh, political independence. And remember, this is an important part. We're, we're still at this point, like seven, eight hundred years before Jesus' time. But you remember when Jesus comes, they're still looking for that political leader, that Messiah who's going to deliver them from being under the thumb of the nations around them. That's their history. You know, after Solomon, during Solomon's reign, the kingdom was big and, and Israel was a major player. Um, but that, that would end with the end of Solomon's reign, right? The kingdom falls apart, breaks into two pieces, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and the powers around them become much more powerful. And that remains th true as a general theme uh, through the New Testament and even beyond. So these three kings have come to power. Uh, Assyria has lost a little bit of power, but then following these three uh, kings, uh, a man by the name Tiglath-Pileser III is also referred to as Pul, P-U-L, in the Old Testament. He comes to power, and he, is, uh, he exerts his power as best he can. His goal is to restore Assyria and make them this great world power. This happens somewhere around 745, 740 BC. This is when Isaiah starts his writing. And not long after uh, Isaiah begins, uh, Uzziah dies, right? In the year Uzziah died is when is, uh, Isaiah uh, gets his call. So this is about 740 BC. His death was uh, a tragedy 
but not unexpected. He'd been, he'd been ill for quite a while with some kind of skin disease that ultimately took his life. And on his death, his son Jotham becomes king. And it's a difficult time because, again, uh, Assyria had been weak, and now this guy is, is beginning, this new king, Pol, is putting pressure on the nation. And he puts more pressure on the northern kingdom than he does the southern. And what happens is the northern kingdom forms an alliance with Aram, a country to the north of them, and they want to unite to rebel. They, I mean, they want to get together to be stronger, to fight and resist the Assyrians. And they try to incorporate uh, the help of Judah. So they come to Jotham and they ask him to join their, uh, uh, their compact to fight against Assyria. Jotham doesn't want to deal with it. He refuses to join them, and so a war breaks out between uh, Assyria. Has nothing to do with this first war. It's Israel and Aram fighting against Judah to try to force Judah's hand to to make them uh, uh, support the coalition against Assyria. As a result of that, we'll see that that will be the death of uh, Jotham, and his son comes to power. Jotham's son is Ahaz. And Ahaz has a real tough time. He oscillates back and forth in his mind, should I fight with, with uh, this coalition or should I side with Assyria and, and uh, hope that Assyria will be my salvation, the salvation of Judah. And he, and he waffles back and forth trying to make up his mind. And that's an, this is an important point. It's important in the history of Israel because it leaves them kind of vulnerable to anybody and everybody because they won't, they won't firmly take a stand and go one way or the other. Waffling is, is always a time of weakness, right? As, for, as we talk about this history, as you read through this book, look what's going on politically and then, and then kind of compare that to what's going on politically in our <laughs> lifetime. What's going on in our lifetimes uh, right now? You know, what's happening in Ukraine and with Russia and the pressure that's being put on there and, what it's, and the impact that that is having on the rest of the world? And how should the rest of the world respond? Uh, the general uh, consensus right now in Europe and in the United States is we, we endure against Russia. We do not give in. We don't, they, can, they can lessen the pressure we're feeling on the economy, right, with their oil. Um, but we're not going to give in to that, right? We're not going to stand for Russia doing that. That seems to be the general consensus here and in the European Union. But there are those in the European Union who are saying, back down, get the economy under control, because otherwise we're, we're, we're going to suffer uh, what may be irreparable damage. So even today, you see these political games get played in the world, right? It's not unique what's going on today and what was going on back in, uh, in their day. So Ahaz goes back and forth. Finally, he decides to opt uh, to put his uh, hopes in Assyria. He pays a bribe to Pol, and somewhere around 730 BC forms an alliance with Assyria. That, that wins out for a short time, but when uh, Pol dies in 727, then the northern 
uh, kingdom, Israel, rebelled against Assyria. And uh, Paul's successor, Shalmaneser V, he comes against Israel, the northern kingdom, lays a siege, and in 722, five years after the death of his father, Shalmaneser finally um, uh, destroys and burns Samaria. And so the kingdoms can, you know, um, Syria very much in power in the north. Assyria is still very much forcing tribute from Judah, controlling the situation. Um, about 20 years after this time, we're getting close to the year 700, um, another king arises in Assyria. His name is Sennacherib. And several nations uh, banded together once again, trying to resist the, the authority and the power of Assyria. Now by this time, Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, has come to power in Judah. And he refuses, once again, just like his father, he refuses to join in the rebellion against Assyria. Assyria manages to put down the uh, rebellion in the, in the Middle East, and then turns their attention for a time to their west. They go into Babylon, modern-day uh, Iraq and Iran, and they, they, they force their hand there. They be, become powerful there. You may remember Hezekiah, during his time, he, he, he's threatened too by the Assyrians and by, this, by Sennacherib coming back in the area. He makes a deal to keep peace and asks God to give him peace throughout his reign. And God, God says, you'll have peace throughout your reign, but your son, your descendants, they're going to have to deal with these problems. The problems won't go away, Hezekiah. Hezekiah opted out of dealing with or trying to fight just to make peace in his time, and God granted him that. And you remember the story with the son going backward on the steps. He promises him a longer life when he's... So as Hezekiah asks for this blessing, and God gives it, but God also tells him as he's giving him the blessing, and we'll see this as we read Isaiah. God also warns him that, okay, it's going to be okay in your lifetime. But you get this impression that God is kind of saying to him, you're, you're being kind of selfish in this. Uh, and those that follow you are going to pay the price. They're going to pay a price uh, for what you're doing. So Assyria turns their attention to their west. They conquer Babylon. The Assyrian Empire reaches its heights somewhere around the year 700 B.C. Following this, he comes back and once again begins exerting pressure in the east. The fortunes of the Assyrian Empire will change quickly. Um, their, their top dog in 700, before, just before 600 comes, 100 years later, they will be completely defeated. Babylon will be the new top dog by the year 600. And Isaiah records for us that uh, Nebuchadnezzar will come against Israel, uh, excuse me, Judah, the southern kingdom. And because of their rebellion, will ultimately lay siege to, and in 586, 140, 150 years after the northern kingdom fell, then the southern kingdom, Judah, falls to Babylon. And Isaiah, Isaiah records all of this time, much more detail about the events of his lifetime, and, and a little bit less later. But again, knowing the history, understanding how these kings uh, and these rulers responded to the threats of these foreign powers, 
where that led them, how that led them in their decisions, in their political decisions, and what the consequences of those were, uh, physically and spiritually for the nations. Um, it's interesting. It's fascinating to see it happen. And it's really interesting to try to grasp what's happening then and compare uh, what's going on in our day. How is God working in our day? What's God allowing to happen right now? So as you read, pay attention to these details. Pay attention to the, to the shift. Try to put yourself in the, in the place of these people who have to make these decisions. And how would you respond? How would you look for what the Lord is doing? And again, as you read Isaiah, not only does he prophesy about this time, but he goes back and talks, really he discusses from creation until the end times. And look for the promises. You know, Emmanuel, God with us. He tells us that story too. He sees the bigger picture. And there's another lesson for us. Don't get so caught up in our times that you don't see that we're just a small cog in the very big wheel. How do we fit into the history of this nation? How do we fit into the history of the West? How do we fit into the history of Western Europe and America? And then more largely, how do you know, the, the growth of power in the East, China, uh, India, these new major players that are appearing on the on, on this world scene. How do we interrelate with them? How should we respond to them? How should we, uh, how, do, how do we bring the gospel most effectively into those kinds of places? All good things to keep in, your, in the back of your mind as you try to understand uh, the big picture as well as what is God going to ask me do, to do today.